0: Hello, and welcome to All the Gospel, a sermon podcast from Kirksville Assembly of God. We are happy to have you as a part of our listening community. Thank you for joining us as we explore the Word together. We're going to jump into the Word. Genesis chapter 16 is where we're at this morning. God is already doing something pretty amazing. We worship the Lord, we worship the Lord together, and it is pretty incredible Uh, To see what God can do as we lift up his name, as we worship him and we give him the glory. We get out of his way and just let him have the opportunity to do so, to do what he wants to do. And I know he's working uh, in mighty ways in people's lives. I don't look at y'all because I'm worshiping. I'm not like judging like, oh, we got this many people participating, this many people on their phones, this many people sleeping. That's not my job. Uh, that's between you and God. If you're missing out on this flow, for whatever reason, I would just encourage you to get into the flow. Uh, there is nothing on your phone or anything else that could be even compared to what God can do for us. I, again, I have no idea if anybody was or was not. That's just an example. But, like, man, enter into what God has. Enter in, and, and he will do great and mighty things. It's who he is. It is who He is. Um, so we're in Genesis chapter 16. This is part 5 of the, uh, the Summer Torah series. Uh, and we're picking up with Sarah and Hagar uh, in a very difficult passage. I spent a lot of time reading over this and praying and thinking, and uh, I still am certain that I have uh, about a 5% grasp on what is happening here. The depths of God and his word are immense and, um, and, and sometimes difficult. And this is one of the difficult passages, and I'm not afraid of those, uh, but they are a little intimidating, but we can't shy away from it. Uh, There's some strange stuff in here that we'll have to talk about. But um, if you remember from last week, God and Abraham had a little back and forth in chapter 15. Uh, God had made a comment to Abraham. Abraham asked a question. God responded, and then the narrator told us that Abe believed in the first section. Then it repeats itself. God makes a comment, uh, and then Abraham asks a question, and God responds to Abraham and then we, we would think, according to the pattern then, that Abraham would be described by the narrator as, a, as believing God. But it's not. It jumps in that moment to chapter 16. Sometimes the chapter and the verses get in the way of our understanding the Bible. The chapters and verses are not biblical. Okay? They are additions to help us kind of keep track of stuff. So when I say Genesis 16, you know, to turn to Genesis, the big number 16. And it's easy. But this time, I think it's in the way that it jumps to now Sarah and something happened here where it should have been the narrator describing Abraham, but it jumps to Sarah in this case. Something happened to disrupt it. And you would think, well, what does Abe do? Maybe Abe believes, but the next thing we see Abraham doing is in verse uh, the middle of verse 2 or the end of verse 2, Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. So he didn't believe God. He listened to the voice of Sarah. And this leads to a whole bunch of problems in this chapter. And Abe's response to God was believing his wife and results in the abuse of their Egyptian slave girl. Just up front here, I want to give you some things to think about doing. In God's plan, we want to make sure we are doing our part in God's plan. We have a role to play. Abraham and Sarah had a role to play, but they have to do it God's way. We have a part to play in God's plan, but we have to let God be God. We don't sit in God's place. We don't sit in God's seat. We don't have that perspective. We let, we do our part, but we let God be God. And if you remember from the blessing, Abraham was, he was challenged to be a blessing to the nations, not to take advantage of them. A blessing to the nations, not to mistreat or abuse or trouble them. And then remember as well that to be like Jesus, we need to find people where they are. So let's dive in, and then I'll pray. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. Now Sarah, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. The narrator just keeps pointing that out to us. She had a female Egyptian servant, slave, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to you, to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Lord, help us as we study your word today. Holy Spirit, help us, God, to understand what it is that you're trying to get across, Lord, to your people originally and even now to us these thousands of years later. Be with us today. Open our ears to hear and our minds to receive and our spirits to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. So the focus switches to Sarah. She's the wife. She has no children. She did have a female Egyptian slave named Hagar. Well, where did she get one of those? Well, if you remember, Abram, they had to flee to Egypt for a while because the famine was so bad. While he was there, he lied about his wife. As a result of his lie, he got a whole bunch of stuff, including male and female Egyptian slaves. Hagar was one of them. Had to be. Picked him up. Hagar, her name actually means flight. Means flight. Uh, Probably not so much like a bird, more like a migrant or a refugee. We see how this... Whole situation ties back to an original situation where Abram started out with lies. Sin has a way of piling up. You know, the first sin maybe isn't that big a deal, but it has a way of piling up until it eventually topples down on top of us. Sarah had been waiting along with Abraham for the fulfillment of the promise—the promise to have, uh, to be, uh, to be. Well, it's in verse twelve. Uh, I will make you a great nation. In order to have a great nation, they were going to have to have a family. So they were waiting. Sarah was barren. She had no children. Her social worth, her social status, her self-worth was all caught up in her ability to bear children. And she couldn't. So she was getting desperate. Her desperation leads to a terrible idea. You notice in verse 2 it says, Behold behold, I translate that in my head to be, check it out. Check it out. Look. Check it out. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She blames God here. So, she goes to a substitute. Well, if God's preventing me, then I'll go to a human, and that human will be able to fulfill for me. So she does what is good in her own eyes. Check this out. We're going to keep in our mind Genesis 3, but check this out. She says... She saw. Behold, look. uh, Go to my servant, that it may be obtained children. Blah blah blah. So, uh, verse three, kind of in the middle. Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to her husband as a wife, and he went into her. This is the same exact pattern that we see Eve doing in the garden. Sarah saw the servant was good. She took Hagar and gave to Abraham. Saw good. Took. And gave, Like Eve saw that the fruit was good, took the fruit and gave it to her husband. This is a repeated theme. Like, get this. This is wrong is what's happening here. This is like a, hey guys, this is a red flag. Don't do this. Bad idea. Tree of knowledge of good and bad at this moment here. Abram listened to the voice of his wife in order to take advantage of Hagar and produce an heir through her. So she becomes like this slave wife thing. We've got this ancient Near Eastern slave wife thing, and we have to see this as a violation of God's plan. This is not the way God intended marriage to happen. This was not God's plan for the fulfillment of the promise. This was not a part of God's plan. Saw good, took, gave. Problem. So the promise, once again, from Genesis 12-2, is in jeopardy. The promise is in jeopardy this time by Sarah and Abram, but the plan worked. The plan worked. They produced an heir for Abram, thus fulfilling God's promise all by themselves. Yay! They didn't even need God. God, what do we need you for? We can do this ourselves. Abe, Abraham, Abram—it's all the same guy. Took creation upon himself into his own body. He took creation into his own hands and stepped into the place of God. Now, we would imagine saw, good, took, gave. The next thing in that story was their eyes were opened and they could see. Let's, check, let's just explore for this here as we move through this. Uh, we're in verse... Four, he went into Hagar, and she conceived. That's Bible code word. I think we all know what's going on there. They had sex, and then she got pregnant. We'll just be clear. We're all adults here. It's like, come on. We don't have to talk like, like we're in kindergarten. And so she is pregnant. And check it out. When she saw, when she saw that she conceived, her eyes were opened, and she saw that she conceived, she started to do stuff. Because at the time, at the time, in the social standards of the ancient Near Eastern practice, this slave wife was a second-class wife, unless she had a child, in which case she would become the primary wife. uh, Sarah was barren. She had no children. So we've got a social conflict here. And so what did she do? She saw she was pregnant, then she looked down on Sarah. Because socially, she just got promoted. Well, I'm having an heir. I'm the first wife. And pride sets in for Hager. I want to be clear in this story. All the humans in this story are wrong and are doing the wrong thing. There is no human in this story who is our hero. Okay? So Hager, yes, she was... abused. This is not the way God intended it to be. She was abused, taken advantage of in order for Abram to fulfill his promise opposite of God's plan or outside of God's plan. Now she was, she had conceived. So she thought, well, I'm the first wife. So she behaved in a proud way towards Hagar. She looked on her with contempt, contempt here. Um, Some translations say despise, and there's like an element of hatred to our word despise that I don't think is included in the text here. I think it's more of just a looking down on, like, I'm the wife now. Sarah, what do you got on me? Oh, That's a terrible walk. I didn't practice that this morning. So she's looking down on Sarah like, you don't even have a child. Who do you think you are? So treated Sarah with disrespect and dishonor in an attempt to reduce Sarah's significance to Abraham. It's a reduction. It's, a, it's contempt there in a case of like, who do you think you are? I've got all this stuff. I've got this stuff you want. And then Sarah, so her eyes, so Hagar's eyes were open to this reality. But again, not a reality that God would be like, yes, this is what I want. I just imagine for a second, as we read through all this, God sitting in heaven, Just like holding his forehead, you know how you watch your children and they're like, "Like, I don't want to intervene yet." They're being knuckleheads. Like, oh goodness, Um, please don't get any worse, you know. Uh, And God is just watching all this happen. Then Sarah saw. Sarah saw how her bad choice had led to a worse situation. What have I done? But there's no, like, there's no awareness on Sarah's part, or at least no acceptance that this is her problem. No way. She gives this big speech blaming Abram. Verse 5 May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. She looked on me like I was less than. So Sarah is mad at Abram for doing what Sarah told Abram to do. If this isn't just a classic picture of people doing people things, then I don't know what is. So she saw that. And, like, let's be clear, this is Abram's fault. He had a role to play in this. He could have said, no, woman, Let's trust God and wait for him to fulfill his promise without this beautiful young Egyptian slave woman. But, Abram, that temptation was too great. And that old pervert took the opportunity. If I've offended you with my language. Sorry, I just, let's be honest about this. The Bible's being honest about the way people are. So Abram, like any self-respecting old pervert, passes the responsibility back to his wife. He says, look, behold, check it out. Your servant is in your power. She's your servant. You deal with her. I just did what you told me to do. This is classic both of them are trying to shift the blame to each other no i told you oh it's like uh this just hit me that commercial where the guy was supposed to pack the um the life jackets they were going rafting and they're supposed to, you packed, you said you'd pack the life jackets no i didn't you said you would and then they checked the replay i don't know if you've seen that or not watch more tv what are you doing um that's not an actual application sorry eldon don't write that one down um uh, but that's the idea. Is like they're blaming each other, and they need a little instant replay here. It's just like Adam and Eve again. It's just like Adam and Eve again. A- Adam's like, it wasn't me. My wife told me to do it. And wife was like, well, it wasn't me. That snake over there, he told me to do it. Blame shifting. This is the way we do is isn't it? It's not my fault, this person. It's not my fault. They did. Don't look at me. Look at them. He did it first. That's the thing. He like, hit me first. Well, the second one gets caught. Early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Okay, stay focused. They don't want to take responsibility. This is why Sarah says that God will judge between them. I think it's what she's getting at there. We're not going to dive into that, but just like, well, God's going to deal with this. Well, he's going to. Then Abe says, this is interesting to me. He says, do to her as you please. Due to, she's your servant, do to her as you please. So now both of them have given each other permission to do to Hagar as they please. Nobody's like, Hagar, how you feeling here? What, what's going on? Now Understand, she was abused. She's got her own roles to play. She's got her own wrongs to do. But in some ways, Hagar is a very tragic figure in this story abused and taken advantage of by people trying to do God's will. And if that's not a shame, I mean, think about the church today like abusing people, taking advantage of people trying to do God's will that should never be, that should never be a charge against the church. But I'm afraid like here that it is. So, what would please Sarah? was like, Abraham said, do to her as you please. And so, okay, Sarah's like, all right, what would please me? Uh, Mistreating her. At the end of verse 6, then Sarah dealt harshly with her. Now, I sat uh, just a few, I don't know, I'm going to say hours. You're not going to believe me. You think it's hyperbole. I think it was a few hours Friday morning. I can do that over summer. And I was just like, what in the world? Dealt harshly. The NIV has mistreated The Hebrew word, I don't know how to pronounce Hebrew words because I'm from Missouri. Um, So I think (laughs) I'm just going to say it the way I think it in my head. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's not exactly right. Um, But it means to afflict, to oppress, or humble. To humble. To afflict, to oppress, or to humble. And Sarai humbled her by reducing her back to her original status as a slave. So I think that dealt harshly here because I really was struggling because in a little bit the angel of the lord is going to send hagar back into this situation and I dealt with this and my CPB and I was wrestling I was like if this is abuse if they're abusing her then we shouldn't go back to abusive situations surely god's not sending her back into abusive situations And I struggled with this because, and I don't think that's what's happening here. I think the the dealt harshly is more of a humbling or a lowering of one's status. Hager thought she was all puffed up like I'm the first wife. And Sarah came in and gave her a tongue lashing and put her back in her place and said, I don't know who you think you are, but you are not the first wife in this relationship. I'm Sarah. Do you know anything about me? And puts her back in her place. And I think that's more of what happened here than some kind of beating. I, I, and this is kind of, the, the text is not clear, but this is something that we have to wrestle with. And even when I'm done here today, I think there's more that you could just sit with this story and just ponder this thing. Because it's, it's beautiful in the weirdest, most tragic way ever. We like our tragedies. It's a tragedy here for right now. So Sarah humbled her by reducing her to her original condition as a slave. Um, Ellicott's commentary helped me with that one. After she disrespected and dishonored Sarah by seeing her disability as making Sarah insignificant. And I do call that a disability with Sarah. She couldn't have children. And so she looks down on the person with the disability and thinks she's more significant. There's probably something there you could take as well. So as a result, Hagar flees into exile. It's a death march. It's an exile. The Egyptian flees to exile from the Hebrews. She is out of there. Her name means flight. So perhaps this is a pattern of behavior for Hagar, or perhaps this is why she is regarded as flight. She's taking flight. She is out of there. Similar to the pattern we see again in Genesis 3, but with a twist, because Sarah kicks Hagar out of the, of the garden of the Lord, of the presence of the Lord with Abram and Sarah, out of abuse and oppression. When God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden, it is not abuse and oppression. It is the very thing that will allow them the opportunity to get back to the garden. Because if they sinned in the garden and then ate of the tree of life, they would live forever in their lost position. And so God does it as a justice. You've got to go. You can't stay here. You can't stay in my presence with sin. You'll be burned up like the sun. So it's a justice from God. Here it's an injustice. And the the pattern has a twist to it. So again, the application, do your part, but do it God's way. There were things Abram and Sarah needed to do in order to see a promise fulfilled. If they were supposed to have children, they, at their 85 years old, had a job to be doing. But the ends, like they, uh, they got to a baby, the end. Yay, a baby! The fulfillment of the promise. But the ends do not justify the means that they used to get there. You can get to a counterfeit promise of God through human means. And it would be just as wrong. If the Lord doesn't build the house, it's going to fall down. So they abuse Hagar. Hagar abuses Sarai. Sarai abuses Hagar. And the cycle of bad just spirals downward until someone repents from this downward trajectory. God rejects this abuse and oppression. In the next chapter, we're going to talk about this. He makes Abe and all the men in his household slice off a part of their penis as a result of this. He rejects this abuse of Hagar. And understand that oppression, uh, we have this word, we float it around. Sometimes it's a big, heavy word, oppression. You know, like, oh, I don't oppress anybody. I'm just mean to them and talk bad about them and put them in their place and give them a piece of my mind and I'm unkind and I'm sometimes uh, make fun of people and insult people, but I don't oppress people. But understand, all of those would be oppressions. The very idea of putting someone down, to oppress is to press down. To put someone down or put them back in their place, which is always down, is to oppress someone. And this was a hard week for me. I'm a super competitive person, super competitive. It's why I don't participate in the games at camp, because I will wreck some 12-year-olds. In whatever game, I will wreck them, and I'll tell them about it. Boom, 12-year-old, you know. So I don't participate. But even this week, I found myself, I had to repent, because I was out, and I got former soccer players in the house today. I thought I'd have one that was actually there to witness this. I had to repent, because I was, a, I was putting down players, I was in a bad mood Thursday night. Bless. Oh, you were there. You saw me. So you just confirm without saying anything. I, it, was, it was wrong of me. Had the wrong spirit going in. Had the wrong spirit during our little scrimmage. It was supposed to be a fun time. And Coach Minds has lost his mind. Oppressing people. What kind of pass was that? What are you doing? Settle the ball. You know, all this stuff. It was not helpful. It was not to lift up. I was in a bad mood. I wanted everybody else to be in a bad mood, too. Quit smirking like you'd know something. So, do your part in God's plan, but we have to do it God's way. Secondly, do your part, but let God be God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, we know this because it says, um, Fear of the Lord. um, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Let God be God. Let God. You've got a part to play in God's plan. No doubt about it. But don't go and sit in the seat of God and try to make babies on your own in this particular case. Or whatever the situation is, let God do God and you do you. What is your role in this? Sarah and Abram, they've got a role to play. No doubt. If they're going to have an heir, they've got a role to play. But that's their job, not to go outside of that and start to do other things because they become desperate. And remember that the promise is to be a blessing to the nations, not to take advantage of them. This is not how they should have treated the Egyptian. So when making decisions, choose options that will bless other people and not take advantage of them. That's, we do that all the time. What would be best for me in this situation? I was like, no, what's going to bless the other people? God's going to take care of me. God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, will take care of me. How can I take care of other people? Then there is a complex portrayal of God. Angela apologized to me for taking up so much of my time. I'm going to pass that along. Please inform her that she did not take up any of my time. This is all God's time. Um, I had a goal to reduce the overall length of the sermon. I'm aware of what time it is. You do what you need to do today in terms of time. I'm going to preach the word that God's given me, um, and we'll go from there. But again, you do what you need to do. There's freedom in this place. So there is a complex portrayal of God in verses 7 through 14. Let's, let's read it. We're going to read to the end of the chapter, then we'll talk about it. Because this is where the good news comes from. I was like, Sean, that was horrible. See, I can't stop there at that story because it's a tragic end. Hagar is out in the woods somewhere. She's going to die. Like, uh-oh. And then see you next week. So we got to keep going. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring. This is Hagar again. By a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar... Servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. We'll deal with that complexity later in another week. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her Elroy. God who sees. You are a God of seeing, Elroy. I was just, when I hear Elroy, this is like a little secret. Like when I hear Elroy, I'm like, what kind of hillbilly? I'm just going to be honest. But when we pause and look at the Hebrew, this is awesome. This is one of the first names we get for God from a person describing, a person talking to God. The narrator does a lot because it's Moses and he knows a lot of stuff. But this is the first time we see a person, well, one of the first times we see a person describing God, and it's Elroy, and it's from this uh, Egyptian female female slave who, in this case, is outcast. It's beautiful. So, God of seeing, for she said, Truly here, I have seen him who sees me. I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, The well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered, and Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Ishmael means God hears. God hears. So God sees and God hears. The Bible's awesome. God is awesome. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. But I want to look at this angel of the Lord. This is complex. I take a particular view that this, well, first of all, we imagine God sitting up in heaven watching all of this abuse back and forth. He's watching these people abuse and oppress one another. And finally, it got to the point where Hagar has felt the need to leave. I'm out. And she's out in the wilderness. And God's like, that's enough i got to go. I'm going down. And so this angel of the Lord, it's a messenger of the Lord. Um, it, I, I take the view that this is what we would call a Christophany. A, a view of an appearance of Jesus before he is born. A Christophany. It's complex. We could talk about it. Small groups are tonight. If this is a thing, this is my view. It could have been a Michael, a Gabriel, but I think... That as Christians, we can easily just identify this as as a Christophany. An appearing of the Lord in physical form before Jesus was born. A pre-incarnate Jesus. The fundamental truth number uh, three of the assemblies of God is the eternal Son of God. So Jesus already existed from before creation through the end of time. So it's it's not a problem. Like Jesus wasn't not alive, not born. He just didn't have his body. Complex. We can talk about that later. And while he's there, Hagar, he, he asks Hagar two questions. Where have you come from, and where are you going? Do you remember the first thing that God did after Adam and Eve sinned? He went out for his walk in the, in the garden with them. Do you remember what he did? He asked them, where are you? Where are you? God's got this habit of asking people where they are. It's not that God doesn't know where you are, because think about it. In verse uh, 7, the angel of the Lord, I'm just going to skip that and we'll call him Jesus. Jesus found her. He knew where she was. He went to her and said, where are you? This, these are questions we're supposed to ask ourselves. Where am I? Where have I come from? And where am I going? These are questions for us to ask in relation to God. God knows, but we need to reflect on it. She was fleeing from her problems, she was straight running from them. She had been abused, misused, mistreated, all unfairly. Now she's an outcast. She had made her own mistakes, so she wasn't even blameless. And she made things worse on herself. And now here she is by a spring, probably waiting to die. She's in the wilderness. No provisions. There's no account of provisions being given. And so today, Jesus is asking us, where did you come from? And where are you going? And where are you going? Some of us are outcasts on the run, just like Hagar is, trying to find an escape from the pain of this life, from the abuse, the misuse, the addiction, the brokenness, and and trying to escape when things don't just go our way. That was me. Things were not going my way, and I was going to make it everyone else's problem too. And it feels like sometimes no one really wants us. They just want something from us. And we know that we're actually going nowhere. Where did I come from? Well, I came from a pretty good place, but now I'm going nowhere. Or maybe I came from nowhere, and I'm currently going nowhere. We could be honest with God about this, that those things. Some of us are like Sarah or Abram. We're headed down a path that we've created for ourselves. We've tried to fulfill God's plan by doing it ourselves in human means and human ways, and we've run into problems, and now we're going nowhere. We're trying to remove the problems, kick out the haggers that we created for ourselves in unjust ways. We lash out in unkindness. We deal harshly with people because there's something wrong, not with them, But with us, so we try to push people away. And no matter who we are like in this story, it feels like we're far from God, and he doesn't see us. He doesn't know where we are, but really it's just us. We don't know where we are, and we don't realize where we're going. But like I said, the good news is we don't find Jesus. You don't have to find Jesus. Jesus found you. Then the angel of the Lord found her. He found her. He went to her. He left heaven to come to you, lost though you were, and found you in the middle of the wilderness, the middle of your loneliness, the middle of the darkness, the middle of the pain, the problems. He stepped out of heaven because he had had enough, and he came down to find you. Check this out in verse 8. Not only did he find you, he knows your name And he said, Hagar, called her by name, called her by name, knows you. He doesn't just find you. He doesn't just know your name. He knows your condition. Hagar, servant of Sarah, I know exactly your situation. Jesus is fully involved. He is watching. He's waiting. He's asking, where are you? Where did you come from? Where are you going? Are you coming to me? And then Jesus says to repent. In verse 9, he says, return to your mistress and submit to her. There is an implicit promise of protection here because he says that he will multiply your offspring. She will not go back to an abusive situation like we talked about. We'd have to be careful there. In no way would I encourage anyone, no, no, go back to the abusive situation, let God take care of it. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think God's got a plan to work with Sarah and Abram as well. And this is God's plan, and he's got particular things. So this is not, this is not me saying, you know, it's, it's, it's different. But it is a repentance because she had elevated herself in pride, and it had hurt Sarah's feelings, and Sarah had obviously abused Hagar, and there was some reconciliation that needed to happen here. How much more should we return to Jesus, our master, and repent to him and go back to him? In this simple story, this part of the story is a little simple. Hagar actually behaves loyally to the charge of Jesus. She does what he says to do. She humbles herself and obeys what the angel of the Lord commanded her to do. Are you willing to humble yourself today and obey Jesus this morning? Are you willing to be loyal to the one true cosmic king? He's overall. You're either with him or in rebellion to the one who will eventually just unplug this world. You don't stand a chance on your own. We have to submit to him, we have to return to him. So, if you feel lost today, I want to pray for you. Some of us may feel lost today. Jesus has found you, He knows your name. Repent this morning. And let us pray for you. I got three things. I want to do this one at a time. If that's you today, will you stand? I know this is bold. I'm just like, what, Sean, you want me to stand here? If that's you today, will you stand? You feel lost. And I want to encourage you that Jesus has found you. He knows your name. We're going to pray for you. I see you. Lois, Mita, will you lay hands? Father God, we pray right now. And Lord, if there's others who haven't stood, Jesus, you know where we are. You know where we are. You found us. You know exactly. And you come to us anyways, God, and you love on us. Let the love right now just minister, Lord, to the to every person who has felt lost, God. Bless Julie, Lord God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Second thing, if you need to repent today because you have been misusing or mistreating people, I'm standing already, so just understand, I have confessed this already to you all. I have been doing this, and I am standing. From the smallest unkindness to the grossest of sin, we're not going to judge anybody who stands here. You have been mistreating, misusing people And you want to repent this morning. Will you stand with me? I am standing already. You haven't been treating people the way that they need to be treated. Will you stand this morning? Lord, we pray for those who are standing right now, Lord. God, we've tried to do it our own way. And I'm guilty of this myself. And Lord, I repent. Forgive me, God. Forgive us, Lord, for misusing, mistreating people. God, the only way to treat them is with love and respect, the way you treat people through your example here as how you treated Hagar. God, help us to do that. We can't do it in our own power. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Draw us back into you. Fill us with your love that it may be the thing that comes through to the people who are around us. The third thing, Jesus went and found Hagar out in the wilderness. And if you want the Holy Spirit to empower you to be a finder of lost people, will you stand up? If you want the Holy Spirit to empower you to be a finder of lost people, people, to minister to them in their need, in the middle of their hurt, in the middle of their pain. This is only something the Holy Spirit can empower us to do. We can go off on our own and try to do it, but we're just going to Sarah and Abram this bad boy unless we get the Holy Spirit to give us some wisdom and guidance on this one. So just a reminder, one, do your part in God's plan, but do it God's way. Do it God's way. Do your part, but let God be God. You're not God. Let God be God and do it his way. Thirdly, be a blessing to the people. Don't take advantage of them. Don't trouble them. Don't bother them. Be a blessing. If you're in conflict with somebody, if you're in conflict, you can tear people down. That's easy to do. You idiot, you're so wrong. That's how I talk to my brothers. Confession number two. But in conflict, you can work to build the other person up. In that conflict, you can work to build them up instead of tearing them down. Honor and respect the person you're in conflict with. Fourth and last thing, to be like Jesus, we need to find people where they are. Seek them out. See them. Know them. Get to know them. Today, if you go to lunch, meet the people who are at the table next to you at the restaurant today. Practical tip number one, get to know somebody. You can go talk to the neighbor you only wave at in the morning. Go talk to them. Here's another thing. Um, I didn't get permission before I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Go to AM House, drop off some cookies, and meet the residents. Am I okay there with that? Is that okay? Okay, good. Yes, there we go. Here's one. I'm going to check with Bryce on this one before you do it. You can go to the homeless encampment down by Rainbow Basin with some water bottles. And bless some people. People are like, what home? Is that the right location, Bryce? Rainbow Basin? Yeah a homeless encampment down by Rainbow Basin. There are people there. Don't go. We'll talk with Bryce afterwards. If you're like, I want to do that, we'll get together on that one. But listen, we go and we make disciples. We go and we make disciples. We're not in this just to feel good. We go and find people in the wilderness where they are.